0: Good morning. Man, I don't have to look over this way very often. No, you're fine. Don't want to have to hurt my neck too much, right? I love new b- Newsboys. That's We Believe, right? That song, We Believe, is by Newsboys, and, and it's a great song. So I love Newsboys. So, Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. Today, there's something going in progress there, so Jenny is Zooming for a couple of people that can't be here, our dear sister Karen and our dear sister Debbie Ames, so um, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we'll be today. We'll, we'll finish up chapter two. Um, the title is called The Beauty of a Godly Woman. So men, if you want to leave, you can. So, <laughs> um, But I'm, I'm thankful for this, this topic and uh, thankful for many things. Like I told Jenny, I think sometimes when I'm preparing a message, I'm stressing over it too much going, oh, man, how am I going to do this instead of just doing it so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started father we thank you again for your word lord we pray that you would encourage us in it today that we would know that this is what you have for each of us lord that father you are truly great and you are truly mighty and you are merciful and you are gracious in every way And Father, may we see that in your word today. May our our hearts be open and may our hearts be changed because of you, because we see the beauty and the glory of who Jesus Christ is. So please, Lord, come and encourage us today, convict us today. Lord, just do your work in us today. May your spirit come and be heavy upon us, Lord, as um, we learn what you have for us today. In your name, amen. So as we've been going through 1 Timothy, we see where Paul is talking to Timothy about uh, some corrections in what's happening within the worship service. And so we see that, first of all, that in chapter 1, Paul talked about how Timothy was to correct the false teachers. He was to do these things. He told us about waging the good warfare. And in chapter 2, he talks about Uh, the men and praying within the worship service praying in a way that we pray for the loss that we pray for all men within there and so he continues in the worship service as we look at this next text of how women are to be of how women are to be now Paul is not demeaning women God is not demeaning women just as we, we we talked about in Sunday school earlier we see where women play a A predominant role within the scriptures, you know, Mary has Jesus, Rahab in the Old Testament, uh, in Joshua, we see where Deborah was a king, or uh, she was not a king, but she was a judge, uh, and so forth. And so what we want to see here is what's happening within the worship service that Timothy has to deal with. And so we're going to have a little bit of history to go back so that we can have an idea of what we're dealing with. So please, with me, let's read 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15 would be where we're at today. I'll start with 8. This is what the apostle writes to Timothy. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also, that woman should that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, In gold or pearls or costly attire. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness. With good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. So Paul was addressing the woman's dress within the worship service is what he was dressing. So evidently some of the women were imitating the lavish clothing of the Roman courts at that time, which was clothing that would be uh, seducing or alluring to uh, sexual passions in such a way. They, this is what they were wearing to church. This is what they were coming in with the worship service. They were coming in with their, their hair all done up. You know, he talks about braided hair. But what they would do in that time is they would have within their hair, they would have gold and pearls woven within their hair, coming in with, with, the, with the dress that they, would, that they would be wearing is to bring attention to themselves. And not only to themselves, but with the braided hair with the gold and pearls in there, it showed their wealth. It showed the wealth that they had. And so some common dresses with costly attire, he tells us here that they were with not costly attire. There would be kind of like, uh, like a normal dress would be right anywhere from like 500 to 800 denarii. Or an expensive dress in those days would be 7,000 denarii. So it would be common to us like a Kohl's dress and a, Versa- uh, and a Versace dress. Or showing up in a Cole's dress and someone coming in with a red carpet look. So that kind of gives us an idea of what was, what was happening. So simply to say that the women were coming in to the worship service, det- the, uh, not bringing glory to God, but bringing all the attention unto themselves. And so this is what Paul was encouraging Timothy to address. They would come in with fancy jewelry. They would come in with those things. Now, this is not saying, I want us to understand, this is not teaching that we can't wear nice clothes to church. This is not teaching that you can't wear makeup to church. This is not teaching that you can't have your hair done when you come to church. This is not teaching that you can't even wear jewelry to church because you can I mean, even Solomon's bride wore jewelry. Listen, listen to the Song of Solomon verses 1,10 and 11. "Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for your ornaments of gold studded with silver. And Rebekah wore jewelry in Genesis 24:53. And the servants brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. So the question is, is how does a woman dress when she comes into the worship service? And I'm so thankful that at this moment and at this time, at this juncture of this church, this is not an issue. This is not an issue at all. But if the Lord decides to grow this body, If he decides to bring other people in, it could become an issue, but this is not an issue. So we should praise God, but we should also look at how uh, you are to to dress. And see, this is the beauty of a godly woman. The beauty of a godly woman is in her dress. It's in her attire. And what God is going after is he's going after the heart. What's happening on the inside is, should be reflected on the outside. This is what he's going after. So, first of all, let's look at it. Okay, first of all, uh, verse 9. He says, likewise that women should adorn themselves. Now, this word adorn uh, means to decorate or garnish, right? It means to make up, to make one ready, cosmetics, right? But one is to adorn themselves. Her dress, then, should reflect her heart the heart situation. She should adorn herself in a way that shows reverence to God, that shows glory to God, that does not bring attention to herself. We see this adornment in 1 Peter 3.3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But he goes right to the heart here. He says, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, so your adornment ladies should be the the hidden person of the heart. This is why I titled this sermon, "The Beauty of a Godly Woman," because that's what we see when we when, when we see a woman that adorns herself with with reverence to who God is, we see her commitment and her love towards Christ and who she is, or in who He is. Sorry. So, how do you think through how you dress? Do you just get up in the morning and just kind of look through the closet and go, do, 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 do. "Don't have nothing to wear," you know? Although we have plenty to wear. How how should the mindset be? It's the intent of the heart. It's the intent of the heart, ladies. It's the intent of the heart. What are your motives when you dress for worship? Do you, is your intent to show the beauty of your godliness and your adornment? Or is, it to, or is it to show your love and your commitment to your husband and having that respect for your husband and what you, what you wear? Is it to show a humble and committed heart to God? Or is it to call attention to yourself by showing your wealth and your beauty? And that's what he was dealing with. He was dealing with women coming in and showing their wealth and their beauty and coming in in these lavish gowns and they're they're not adorning themselves in a proper way within the worship service that brings glory to God. John MacArthur says it this way, a woman who focuses on worshiping God will consider carefully how she is dressed Because her heart will dictate her wardrobe and appearance. Beautifully put. So we see the beauty of a godly woman in her attire. Secondly, we see the beauty of a godly woman in her attitude. It's displayed in her attitude. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9, and 10 again. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self control, not with braided hair in gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So, modestly, they are to adorn them. Their attitude is to be a modest attitude, right? This is talking about their attitude. This modesty. Means uh, it's modesty mixed with humility, and it only appears here. This is the only time this word appears here. is is in this is in this context. It means a uh, uh, in the Greek the word is shame facedness. Yeah, shame facedness. Uh, that's what it is, and it only appears here. But it means modesty mixed with humility. It's when a a godly woman feels guilt if she detracts from the worship of God. It means she, she feels shame if she does anything to commit somebody to sin because of her attire. She feels shame if she does anything to take away from the worship of who God is and to lay that attention onto her. This is what that word means. This is that shame Now, as a sidebar here, I, I have to put it this way. It doesn't matter. You could have somebody come in here and be fully covered from head to toe, and it could cause somebody to lust. And ladies, you can't worry about those things. You can't worry about all those things. You have to worry about the intent of your own heart, not the intent of somebody else's heart. Because I know as a guy, I can lust if a gal is fully clothed. It's just, it's lust. And so we have to regard against that as men. So, but please, and everyone here does. This is what he's calling to, that women would dress in a modest way with much humility, not causing anyone else to uh, detract from the worship of who God is. So not only modestly, but with self-control or discreetly, right? To, to dress in a way that's discreetly, her attitude is to be discreet attitude. Plato called this one of the four cardinal virtues. The Greeks highly valued this virtue. They called it the fairest of all of the gifts of the gods, this discreet or this self-control. We see this word in only two other places, one in Acts 26:25 and the other in First Timothy 2:15, which we'll see. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So Paul here is encouraging Timothy as he writes this letter. God is telling us through the Apostle Paul, telling ladies that you are to have self-control in what you wear, not to burn up any passions for yourself or for those who are in the worship service. And third, good works. The attitude of good works. Works that are genuinely good. A woman is characterized by her good, good works. A godly woman is characterized by her good works. And this is a woman who professes godliness. She professes holiness. Now this profession is to make an announcement. She's making an announcement with her attire She makes an announcement. She professes godliness with her attire, with her attitude in the worship service. And this is what she's professing. She's publicly following Jesus Christ. That is the profession. She is professing a love for him, a worship of him, an honor of him, a fear of him. A woman can't say that she loves and honors God then have a blatant disregard for what he has called her to do in her role as a woman. And it's the same thing for us men. We cannot say that we love God and we honor God and we fear Christ and not fulfill our role as men. We just haven't got to that text yet. But this is what it is. It's the same thing for us. And so we see so far that we see that the, the, the portrait of a, of a godly woman, the beauty of a godly woman, we see in her attire. Then we see it in her attitude. And now we see the beauty of a godly woman in her role. In her role. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 11, and 12. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So women and men are equal. Spiritually, they're equal, Right? Spiritually, we're equal. Listen to Galatians 3.28 when it comes to salvation. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, some people will use this verse to say that women can be preachers and teachers. But that's not what this verse teaches. In the whole context, it's talking about salvation. So men and women are equal within salvation because we're all in Christ Jesus. But we are different in role. We are different in the roles that God has for men and women in the church, in the leadership of the church, in the worship of him, right? So just for example, let's talk about role. Right. I can't have a baby. Yet. You never know what's going to happen in science nowadays. But that's a role. That's a role that's set aside for women. Right. She is the one who bears the children. That's a God given role. Right. We see it in Ephesians. The wife's role is to what? Submit to her husband as to the Lord. The husband's role is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children's role are to be obedient to their parents. So we see all through scriptures that there's roles. And so we're going to talk about the woman's role within the worship service. So first of all, she's to be a learner. She's to be a learner. This word learn means to understand or to be taught. Now, this is a command when Paul talks about this. In this verse, in verse 11, or uh, yes, in verse 11, he says, let a woman learn quietly with all submission. So he's saying it's a command to let the women learn. Now, this is monumental in that time because of how women were viewed. Women were not viewed very highly at all. A first century Jewish woman, she would be allowed to go to the synagogue and to sit and listen, but there was very she was never encouraged to learn. And there wasn't very many rabbis that would even teach a woman. So this is who they were. This is why this is monumental. For us nowadays to sit there and say, Yeah, let the women learn quietly, we'd be like, Oh, yeah, of course they can learn, right? But we're not in the first century. You know, they have every right to learn. But this was monumental. This was, this was out, you know, an uh, amazing thing to hear that God says, let the women learn. So in even the Greeks, in the Greek culture, they weren't much better. William Barclay writes it this way. The respectable Greek woman led a very confined life. She lived in her own quarters, into which no one but her husband came. She didn't. She did not even appear at meals. She never, at any time, appeared on the street alone, and she never went to any public assembly. Just confined to her little room in her little house. That's how the Greeks viewed women. And so, for Paul to come and say, "They are to learn. They are to be taught." was huge, was huge. The Old Testament law was given to all. This was not taught in the Old Testament. The Old Testament does not say the women were not to be taught. The rabbis had this wrong. The rabbis had it wrong. But the Old Testament actually says that the law, God's word, was given to all. Deuteronomy one one. These are the words that Moses spoke to all all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So the law was given to both men and women and children. They were all to learn. They were all to know God's law. Parents were to teach their children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. This is Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The law was to be taught from mom and dad. That's how we see it. We see it in Moses, right? Moses is born. He's this beautiful baby. They put him in this basket and they send him down the river right they send him down the river and and the and the, the the queen gets him and she she pulls him out and what a beautiful baby she is but she gets a jewish woman she gets a jewish woman to come and nurse him right his own mother his own mother now do you not think that his own mother while she was taking care of him didn't instill in him the law of god no she taught him she taught him So this was not something that we saw in the Old Testament that they were not to be learners. No, they were to be learners. Women were to be learners. And so it was, again, monumental. But there was a way that she was to be a learner with all submissiveness. Now, this is the same word as we we see in Ephesians, words to come under. It's to come under. It's to line up with. This is what they were to do. They were to be submissive learners. They were to be submissive in their role. But this submissiveness is one of peace and happiness. It's a joy, ladies. This is what God is saying. It's a joy for you to come and sit in all submissiveness and listen to the word be taught. And in all quietness and listen to the word be taught. And let it engulf your soul. This is what he's saying. This is your role is to sit submissively in peace, (coughs) in happiness. It is not a punishment, but it is an honor. It is an honor to sit and learn quietly. So we see this, and we we, we see this carried out in in the next verse. We see how being a learner and submissiveness go together, right? So she's to be a learner, so what's that mean? She's not to teach. And she's to be submissive, so what's that to mean? She's not to usurp authority over the elders. But she's to be quiet. She's to be godly. She's to be submissive in all this. This word, In verse 12, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is from Christ. This word permit means translate, means to allow, right? It means to allow. The word allow in the New Testament speaks of allowing someone to do what they desire to do. And see, this was the problem, what was going on, is there was women within the church congregation in Timothy's time in the Ephesian church that were pushing this. Their desire was to be in leadership. Their desire was to rule. Their desire was to to uh, be in control of the church, to teach and to preach. This was their desire, and the Bible is clear that within the worship service, this is the role of the man. This is the role of the pastor, the teacher, the elder. That we will see in a couple of weeks in, in uh, chapter three, verses two and on. We will see this, but we see that she is to, um, you know, in this submission. She is not to usurp authority, even though they are equal. This is role. Remember, this is role. And we see this in the Godhead. We see it in the Godhead. With Jesus, who is fully God, the Holy Spirit, fully God. We see these roles. We see on a horizontal level, we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all equally God. In every attribute possible, they are all equally God. But when it comes to role, the father is here, the son submits to the father, and the spirit submits to the son. There is headship, there's authority. It's the same thing within the church. There is headship, there is authority. There is headship in the families. You have the the husband and you have the wife, all equal. But you have the husband and then the wife. There is headship within there. And this is crucial that we understand this. And we see it in First 1 Corinthians 11.3. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So Christ is the head of every man. The head of the wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. So we see this authority within the Godhead that Jesus even submits to the Father in all glory, giving him all glory. So ladies, in your role, in this learning, in this submitting, in this listening to the word be preached, when you do it in submissiveness, you put Jesus Christ on display. That is the godliness that we see. You put him on glorious display. Now she's not to teach, but that's what we talk, to teach We have to look at this verb to teach because this verb is very important. I know I don't use a lot of verb stuff, but this one's important. It's a present infinitive, and it indicates a condition or process. Therefore, Paul is not forbidding women to teach under appropriate conditions or circumstances. Right? Under appropriate conditions or circumstances. Within the worship service, she is not to. But we see in Scripture, we see where women are to teach. Has God gifted women with the gift to teach? Yes. There are some very gifted women out there that teach. Has he gifted women to lead? Yes. He has gifted them to lead, just not in the context of the worship service. We see this with Priscilla and Aquila. They taught Apollos. Apollos was? An apostle Acts eighteen twenty six, Apollos. Well, he was one with, with uh, Paul. Sorry, Acts eighteen twenty six. He began to speak boldly, speaking of Apollos. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They took this one that has been with Paul for so long, and as he began to speak, they took him and they took him aside and they did what? They taught him more accurately. These ladies, they taught him more accurately. Uh, How about women in Titus? Women are to do what? They are to teach the younger women, right? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. They are to teach the younger women how to do what? Be godly women. To be godly women in the service, in their homes, and raising their children. This is a beautiful, beautiful role, ladies. You have a beautiful role. And not only that, but Timothy, his mother and grandmother, 2 Timothy 1 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's grandmother and their mother showed him this faith in Christ Jesus. They taught him about Christ Jesus. This is what they did. So we see that women can teach, just not in the context of the worship service. That is to be done by the men in the church. Because it does, once they do, it exercises authority over the man. And this is what Paul says. She is not to exercise authority over the man. Now, this word authority, guess what it means? You guys can all get it. It means authority. That's it. Now, there's some that sit there and put a negative, a negative connotation to this and says, but there's exceptions. There's exceptions. She can exercise authority over a man if the authority is abusive and demeaning. But this word in this context in 1 Timothy has no negative connotation at all. So it doesn't. And it doesn't doesn't say that she is able to do this. No, it says that she is not to exercise authority over the man. She's not to do this within the worship service. This is the elders. These are the men who have this authority. 1 Timothy 3 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. This is your elder, the husband of one wife. We see the role. The overseer, the elder, the pastor is the husband of one wife. We see the role. Not only this, but in 1 Timothy 5.17, it says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So they are to be learners in their role. They are to be submissive in this learning. They are not to teach or preach or exercise authority over man, but they are to be quiet. Now, this does not mean you can't sing. This does not mean you can't fellowship. This does not mean you can't talk with each other. It doesn't mean those things. It doesn't mean that you can't serve the body. But it's your quiet demeanor, your submissive demeanor that is godly within the worship service. So well, where does Paul go with this? Why does he sit there and say this? Why does he take these roles and leaderships? And he takes it back to creation. Creation. This is not a cultural thing to God. This is not a cultural thing in Paul's eyes. He is not looking at this and saying, well, the culture is completely different now. No, he goes back to creation, and he makes it a creation issue, right? And he says, why is this? Why are women to have this role? Because Adam was created first. Right? Right? First Timothy 2.13, this is Paul's reasoning. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. <coughs> and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So Adam was created first. We see this in, in, in Genesis 2. And then Eve was created, and Eve was created to be what? Everybody knows, Eve was created to be a helper to Adam. Right? This is what we read in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So his wife was his helpmate. This is who she was. She was not his head. She was not his head. He was not created for her, but she was created for him. That's what 1 Corinthians eleven eight 8 says. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. She was created for him to be a helpmate. So the order of creation shows the role differences. And this is what Paul is going after. So and he says in there that the woman was quite deceived. Sorry for the tickle in my throat there. But the woman was quite deceived. now. Does this mean that Eve was not as smart as Adam? Well, we know that one's not true. Does it mean she was more naive than Adam? No, that's not true either. Does it mean she was more easily duped? Nope. Was she the weaker vessel? Yes. Even Peter tells us that. Peter tells us that we men, we are to live with our wives in a manner knowing that they are the weaker vessel. This is not me saying it. This is God saying it. Did Satan go to the weaker vessel? Yes, he did. He did go to the weaker vessel, but he didn't go to one who was <coughs> not as wise or or more naive, because even Eve tells him that from the tree We are not allowed to eat from or even touch. She adds touch in there, but God tells her that. So she she had all wisdom in what the tree was. But that's where he goes to. He goes to her. And what happens is when Eve takes from the tree, this is what Eve does. She leaves the protection of her husband. She leaves the protection of her husband. She leaves the leadership of her husband and she becomes vulnerable. And she's deceived into thinking that she's going to be just like God. And so she takes and she eats. She becomes the transgressor. That's what it says. She becomes a transgressor. So we're seeing that this is this is a reason why. So she becomes vulnerable, she becomes the transgressor. But, gentlemen, Adam is not out of it. Adam's not out of it. Because this is what happens. Although we see Adam, Adam casts his role aside. Adam doesn't protect his wife. Adam doesn't lead his wife. Does he? No, but Adam becomes a participant in eating eating of the tree. That's what he does. He does not honor up to his role either. This is what Satan goes after. He goes after the God-given role because we see in the consequences in Genesis chapter 3 that the woman's desire is to is for her husband. And this word desire is not a sexual desire but is a desire to rule over him, to be his head. And Paul is just going back to creation and he's saying, no, there's order, there's roles. And it's a beautiful role, ladies when you submit quietly and learn is what he's saying we cannot pin this all on the woman adam was the one that chose to disobey god this is why we see that it's adam's sin that plunged all of mankind into sin it's adam's sin 1st corinthians 15:21 for as by a man came death By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So did we die because of Eve's sin? No, we died because of Adam's sin. Adam was the one who was ultimately bore the responsibility. Gentlemen, your wife's godliness... Your wife's holiness, your wife's beauty before Christ is partly our responsibility. We cannot not do what God has called us to do in taking care of our wives. So, we see that her beauty as a godly woman in her role, as she submits to godly leadership. And fourth, we see her beauty is seen in her creation. Sorry, I wasn't sure I was going to go too long. Give me five minutes and we'll be done. Her beauty is seen in her creation. 1 Timothy 2.15 Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with self-control. So Paul is not, again, we're we're seeing what he's not teaching, right? He is not sitting here saying that in order for a woman to be saved, she has to have children. He's not saying that, (laughs) right? Because uh, Ephesians tells us that we are all saved by grace through faith. That's it. It doesn't say that women are saved because they have children. This is not it, but it does put an awesome weight upon the woman that does have children. It does put this this weight on them he's he's uh you have the awesome privilege of when you have children to bring up children in a righteous way, not in a sinful way because men we, we we have to admit men unless you're a stay at home dad, which you can be nowadays but I wasn't a stay-at-home dad, so my wife had the most influence on my children. She was with them more than I was. And so she had the most influence on them. And I see that now in the relationship Jenny has with the kids. Her relationship with Morgan and Hayden is completely different than my relationship with Morgan and Hayden. If Hayden has a bad day at work, he calls his mom. He doesn't call me. If Morgan has a bad day, Morgan calls her mom. They have a different relationship with her and I think this is why is because she was able to rear them up. She was able to spend that time with them. She was able to be this godly woman that they were able to see and they saw and they were attracted to that godliness and now today they see how uh, it has been beneficial to them. So this is what it is, ladies. You have this awesome privilege to Raise your children up in a godly way. So also, there was plenty of women that were in the, old, in the Old Testament that they couldn't have babies. And then we have some women that remain single, right? So we can't sit there and say this is only for married women. But for, for single women, single women, you, you have, you, it's, it's awesome to be single, I'm not going to It's awesome to be married too. But as a single woman, you don't have divided affections. You don't have divided affections. You have affections that are for Christ and Christ alone. Uh turn in your Bibles real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh verses 7 and 8. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, (coughs) but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But that's the whole thing. As a married couple, we have... Divided affections, right? Man, how do I 100% love Christ and I love Jenny? Does Jenny compete for my love? Yeah, yeah. But as a single person, this is why I wanted to bring this singleness in because I don't want anybody to think that this is just about women that bear children or anything. But the single woman, you do not have that divided. You could be, all of christ all your affections can be for christ and that's why paul says that it's it's better to be as i am because paul had all of his affections for christ so women are not 2nd rank citizens they are to be an example of a beautiful godliness that we see within the worship service to all of us they are to pursue faith love and holiness and all of this with self-control. So, my dear sisters, to close, you can approach this in two ways. You can approach what Paul says here in two ways. With your attire, with your attitude, with your role, and with your design, you can, one way, you can approach it legalistically. And you can sit there and say, I have to do this. I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. You could get up every Sunday morning, you can come to church and you can get into your closet and you can sit there out of a legalistic mindset and say, this is how I have to be. Or you could do it with the right heart. You could do it with a heart that is captured by the grace of God and the beauty of Jesus. And that is what makes you a beautiful, godly woman within the worship service, within your families and at work. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, Lord. We just ask now that you would be glorified in our application of it, Lord, that you would bring it to our minds, that you would help us in every way, Lord, to be obedient to you, that the men, Lord, I pray for them, that we would not lay aside our leadership in our families, Lord, but that we would be strong leaders within our families. And Father, I pray for the women that they would be godly and dignified in every way, Lord, showing the beauty of Christ in their life. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.